Hey guys, this is Crazy Juicy Love. If you're ready to change your life, your finances, and your love life, hiring a coach will dramatically give you results in any area that's important to you. This is season two of Crazy Juicy Love. Why hiring a coach will change your life. Hey guys, welcome back to Crazy Juicy Love. I have Brian Falchuk. Uh, thank Jimmy? you. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> uh, thank you for being here all the way from Boston. That's right. Um, is that where you originally from? No. Yeah, kind of right outside the Boston area. I just I hide the accent. But if if we if we get into a Boston New York thing, I'll bring it out. And, oh and come on, talking. you don't want the accent. <laughs> come on, guy, the both of yous. <laughs> um, he is a life coach, speaker, featured on two TEDx's, which I love to hear about that. How do you even get involved in that? And yeah. I was just recently hearing about you're a behavior specialist. Yeah. Yeah. I got lots of lots of cool stuff going on. Yeah, man. Um, so talk to me, like, how did you even get into coaching? Like, how did yeah, it all start? Totally by accident, right? Yeah. And I think, um, so it's a really, it's a really genuine story because, um, like, I wasn't born perfect knowing how to fix everyone. <laughs> and I'm certainly not that today either. <laughs> right. um, yeah. I mean, like, I, I went on my own journey and um, the the way that I started to emerge from that journey, people were noticing and they'd reach out to me privately and be like, hey, you know, I'm kind of going through the same thing or I'm struggling with something similar. Can you help me? And just, you know, a friend helping friends. Mm -hmm. And what I found is like, I love doing that. Like yeah. watching someone come alive and transform themselves is one of the most rewarding things I could possibly imagine yeah. doing. So the coaching just kind of like, it wasn't an option. Um, you know, we can get into the backstory and what, you know, what that whole journey was. But yeah, I mean, uh, well, tell me yeah. a little bit about that journey, because I always find it very interesting to people like because when I tell people that I'm a coach, they're always like, oh, how did you even get into yeah. that? Because people always I find that when I tell people that I'm a coach, they they're so interested in how does one even become or discover or get in to coaching so i'm just curious yeah. tell us a little bit about like that that journey yeah um so my my backstory goes way back but um you know in a nutshell my parents got divorced when i was really young and i was like five years old when that finally happened and um it left me feeling uh, a hole around mm -hmm. the very basic need that basically all children's have to just feel okay like everything's mm -hmm. going to be taken care of and i didn't feel that mm -hmm. and so i you know, I was too young to really be in touch with the feeling side of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I just kind of, I needed to feel okay and complete and heard. And uh, my parents weren't able to do that for me. So I turned to food and yeah. I turned to food really, really hard. And um, you see a picture of me from like age five to age six. And it's like, I'm double the size. Yeah. Like I saw those pictures, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's really few pictures of me going through that whole journey like uh, when I did the first TED talk I wanted a picture of me as like the fat kid mm -hmm. and I struggled to find anything 
Um, I'm sure, like, you know, my mother's got something tucked away somewhere, but like, I don't keep photos of that. Yeah, I just like, you, you got rid of them. <clears throat> yeah. And, or like, I just wouldn't be in them, you know? Or like, um, you're avoiding. You know, like, you, yeah. Like, you see a picture of you and you're just, I mean, it's, it's like, it's shame, it's hurt, it's depression, it's pain. And what it would do is it would lead me to eat more. So, like, mm. the more I ate, the sadder I got, the more anxious I was, and the more I would turn to food to try to, squelch that feeling mm-hmm. and it worked really well in the moment but then like five minutes later you're hungry again you oh, know because yeah. like, the reason you're eating has nothing to do with actual physical hunger mm-hmm. it's emotional hunger and food is not a treatment for that um so i you know i put on uh, an excessive amount of weight i was about 100 pounds overweight as like as a kid so like 100 pounds is you know when you when you should only weigh like 100 120 being close to 200 or more, it's kind of a big deal. Right. Um, so, you know, I got up to a point where just shy of 250, I just couldn't weigh myself anymore. I couldn't see it. At what and, age? Um, I was in somewhere seventh or eighth grade. So I was like oh, 13, wow. 14 years old. Um, but I kept, I definitely kept putting on weight because like my pants kept getting bigger mm-hmm. or they needed to be even bigger than they were. Like, you know, end of the day, it was like, it was painful how much I was constricted in my pants. Um, wow. I was just too big. And like, you know, I couldn't, the idea of having to buy bigger pants already, like it's like weighing yourself again, you know, and God, like the Levi's jeans company, please don't print the size of the <laughs> jeans on the back of the, I used to scratch it off with an exacto knife. I didn't know they did that. Oh yeah. Oh no. I knew they did that. <laughs> the, the, the height, the length is fine. Like you can print the inseam all day, but the, the width, and so, like, I would scratch it off with an exacto oh, knife right at the top. At the- yeah, on the little the brown badge in the back. Yeah, and and the kids started to figure it out. And so that went around school. Is like, oh yeah, Brian cuts off the weight, the size of his jeans, because oh, I would like scratch wow. it off. And one of the times, I think I just went too deep, and so it ended up making a hole. And so it was kind of obvious that like I had just these two little holes for the like thirty something and thirty wow. something for the. Um, so yeah, like Levi's, if you want to help promote <laughs> non-fat shaming, please don't print the size in the jeans. Just put in the inside label like everybody else. Um, yeah. So, you know, aside from, uh, from the eating and the Levi's problems, um, I, in high school, I, I met this guy who ran the PE program at my school and everyone hears PE and they're like, oh yeah, that's like the blow off sport. Mm-hmm. And it was, that's why I did it to get out of the sports requirement. But he was this just beautiful soul who just took a totally different approach to exercise. So it wasn't, you know, fat kid, why are you so slow? Why can't you do this? Why are you wheezing? Why are you like three laps behind everyone? You better run another lap. Um, It was more like, well, let's explore all these different kinds of physical physical activity to see what you like. And so I, through, through his help, I discovered that actually I do like exercise. I just hadn't been doing the right ones mm. and I hadn't been structuring it in a self-supporting way. I've been structuring it in a like, you know, depressing and failure kind of way because it's all the things I can't do. You know, mm. like running in summer camp, the counselors pitted all the fattest kids against each other in a race. And um, so it's like, you know, 300 kids or whatever <laughs> laughing at you. And then I passed out on the finish line because it was like um, 110 no. degrees. Like it was, that's what exercise was to me. And he just introduced me to a totally different approach. So the cool thing is I got the like the tools to lose the weight. And I did. I lost 100 pounds uh, as I finished up high school. What I didn't get was the tools to face myself. Mm. I still didn't really understand the emotional side of it. 
So I lost weight, but like most people who lose weight, I slowly started putting it back on. Cause like the, I was still me, you know? Right. <laughs> like I might've taken the weight, like it's like slim fast, you know, it's shake for breakfast, shake for lunch, sensible dinner. That's great, you will lose weight. And then what happens when you stop drinking two of your meals and having nothing else? Like when you stop starving yourself, you're gonna put the calories back on. So I never right. fixed the person. And that's, you know, fast forward to 2011, that was this moment, this like catalyst for major change. Um, you know, these two banners behind me and the hat on my head, they're all talking about do a day, this is my day. Yeah. And it's a, it's a book, it's how I refer to my coaching, it's how I live my life. And it was this call uh, from my wife's doctor. So I was married, we had a two year old and my wife had become incredibly sick the summer of 2011 to the point that she wasn't expected to make it through the summer and no one could figure out what it was. Um, they knew that, or they claimed she was doing it to herself. You know, it's like, you're just depressed. You seem to be really anxious. It's like, well, yeah, how would you feel if you're like wasting away in constant pain and no one has any answers for you? Mm. Um, so June 30th, her doctor calls me to tell me he's going on vacation. He'll check in in six weeks and he basically has nothing else to say. Wow. And at that point, she was down to about 100 pounds. I think she was like 101 or 102. Um, she was losing two pounds every day and nothing was stopping it. And she was, I mean, aside from being scared, she was in a lot of physical pain. And I just said to him, it's like six weeks. She's not going to be here in six weeks. And he just goes, okay, we'll take her to the ER if you need to. And he hung up. <laughs> and that like, if I've ever been kicked in the face, that was the moment. Um so I walked back into our room and our, my, you know, my wife was in bed cause that's, she was basically bedridden at that point. Um, and our son who's like two and a half is standing at the foot of the bed, looking at his mom dying in front of him. And that was, uh, definitely the biggest wake up call I've ever had. The toughest moment was when he turned and looked at me and when his eyes hit me, it was like, mm. um, yeah, it's just kind of everything from my entire life coming together in one moment, one child's glance. Yeah. Um, Cause it just hit me as like, look, she's going through what she's going through and I'm not standing with her the way she needs me to. Like my, my anxiety was in full force. And so I'm always about what's about to go wrong, what's falling mm -hmm. apart and I got to jump in and stop it. <clears throat> and um, you know, the sky is certainly falling right now. And so I'm like, fix, fix, fix. You know, doctor said, do this. You have to do this. Why aren't you doing it? Like press, you know, pressing her. Yeah. Because I'm trying to solve it. And she just wants to know someone stands with her, hears her, and isn't going to let this happen to her. Like, I see you. I'm watching. I'm here with you. That's all she wanted. And I couldn't do that because I was so busy freaking out. Yeah. And, you know, the, the pressure's on me. Like, I'm trying to support the family and like we have huge medical bills now and I'm about to be a single dad and I got to raise this kid alone and what about his happiness and like just everything. And for someone who's overcome with anxiety, that's a really tough place to be. And so I was not showing up for her the way she needed me to, to help her through this path. And for my son, you know, I mentioned like his happiness. If I'm this way in the wake of my parents getting divorced, what about watching your mom die when you're two? Like that is so much more impactful, so much more definitional. And if his only hope for normalcy and happiness or the closest he can get to that in his family is gonna be with me, cause I'm the only one left, the person that I am and the way I'm behaving and the way I'm showing up for him is not gonna help him get any semblance of happiness. So like I'm completely failing my future version of my son.
Mm. <clears throat> uh, I'm providing for him, you know, making the food, I'm cooking and cleaning and paying for stuff. But like, daddy, can you read to me? No, get out of my way. I have to do this. I have to, I didn't say get out of my way, but that's effectively what I was saying. You know, it's like, I don't have time for that. I have to do this. I have to do that. Your mom needs me. I have to go make dinner. I have to, it's just like a little kid who like wants to feel like everything's going to be okay. Just like, like you, I did. Like you want to be, he wants you to be present with him right now. Yeah. Huh? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm totally failing him. And, and <clears throat> at the time that was enough for me that, that woke me up. What has taken me a lot longer to get comfortable with is the third thing that I woke up to and the seeds were planted then, but I wasn't comfortable enough yet to get there. And that was myself. Like I didn't value myself enough, even in that moment to be like, wait, why do I need to live this way? Like, yes, I should be there for her. I should absolutely be there for him, but I can't just give of myself and not matter. I matter too. And through my whole life, I really haven't, I was just saying this to my wife the other day and uh, she's still alive, I should say. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I just said like, I feel like I don't matter. And that's, that's the feeling I've carried since childhood is because like other people are dropping the ball. Other people aren't there for me. Other people aren't taking care of things. So my needs have to set aside because now I have to go and do, and I have to be there for other people. And that, that feeling, um, I was really comfortable with that. Like I'm super reliable. You know, my anxiety is not all bad. It's made me like, I'm the go-to person. I get stuff done. I will fix problems. Like there's, I'm super self-sufficient. You know, there's lots of good from it, mm -hmm. but I don't tend to matter in that equation. Um, and it's funny, like, I think I'm helping other people, but sometimes that's not what they wanted, like with my wife. Uh, so like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I have to do all this stuff for them and it's not even what they want and it's not what I want either. So who am I serving then? And I just wasn't comfortable enough yet with the idea that I matter, I respect myself enough, I love myself enough, I believe that I'm capable enough mm -hmm. to do better. Um, that part took about six more years for me to really get in touch with. But the first two, that, that was good enough at the time and that, um, you know, those two things stick with me. Um, but they matter now because i matter to myself right <laughs> like i can be there for them because i'm here for myself and that's that's what all started and, and the day was like i woke up the next morning july 1st totally changed like i had this energy in me that i've never felt before and i recognize wow. like if you've ever had a chance in life this is it and if you don't really grab this and understand it and dig into it it's gonna go away and you're done and that little boy's done and that woman's done. Um, so yeah, that was my wake up moment. And I started to dramatically change a few key things in my life that were really, I think, front and center, A, in my control and B, really defining too much of my life hmm. negatively. Um, and that's what people started to take notice. Like they, they saw, like I, I had put on, you know, half the weight. I lost all of that and then some and got really fit much faster than I had set as my goal. Like I turned around, I wanted by the end of the year, I did it by my 33rd birthday that October. And so that's where we're like on Facebook and whatever, like people started to come out of the woodwork and they're like, Hey, you know, I put on a bunch of weight too. Can you help me out? Like, mm. what are you doing? Like, you know, and you start talking to them and you realize like they're hurting. They've got yeah. anxiety. They've got issues. They've got like, they're not making space for themselves. They don't even know what they would do with that <clears> space if they have it. Um, and that's where the coaching kind of, 
just it was born from all that and it was like there's no way it couldn't have been it's kind of how this is inevitable wow that's really awesome <clears throat> and i really love that like how you know <clears throat> you as a coach too like you you identify your basically your core belief like i don't matter and you it's like an ongoing process of really yeah. pushing back on those beliefs and really aligning your language your thoughts to people everything to like really push back on that so you can make sure that you are aligned like taking action like i love that you take action yeah like do a day um like taking action consistently with, with that i matter yeah you know yeah. and and a lot of people don't realize that they have that sort of belief that's like dragging them behind yeah them and, and that's yeah. why they're the way they are and it's something i was yeah. like you know um as I was like preparing for this, like, you know, you're do a day, you're talking about like, I think in your TED Talks, like how a lot of people just waste away, yeah. you know, not discovering that thing because that very thing, like saying, I don't matter, like discovering and saying it out loud yeah. can really just break something open. Like, I am not that, this is not who I am. This is yeah. something that happened to me when I was younger yeah. and I get to say who I am. Yeah. Like why do you think that as a coach, well, what do you notice as a coach that people, uh, why do the people waste rather waste away than do the work that it is they need to do yeah. to align themselves with yeah. I, a belief like I matter? Yeah. There's, so from my experience, personal and, and with other people, um, there's a few possible things going on and it's a really personal thing and, and you know, we need to dig into it, but I do find on the whole, people tend to, the way I put it is like, you're an employee of your life. Like you're just working there, <laughs> yeah. you know? We go through yeah. the motions, we do what we gotta do. We have responsibilities, we get pressures, and like, we zone out, you know, whether it's looking down at our device, or looking at the TV, yeah. or both. Like, how many people watch TV while they're also like, flicking through <laughs> their news feed? I, I have a habit sometimes, I have to like, yeah. put it away. Right, oh, right. <laughs> Um, and because we call it a second screen, then it's okay. That, no, like, that's a thing. That's what we do. It's my second screen. So, like, that's not weird that I'm watching TV but not paying any attention. Tim Ferriss uh, watches movies while he writes his books. And I'm like, how do you do I that? that? I know. <laughs> like, and, I mean, that might explain some things about the cohesiveness of some of the arguments, but that's a different story. Um, I get like I, I had a podcast playing and I started to read a book and I'm like I can't do this like this is just not like I, I can't be that split in my mindset um, but so I found a few things one is for some of us those stories you know mine's not I don't want to say it's not traumatic there's trauma in it and it left a mark on me but like what my son was going through is much more traumatic and it's not like i don't like to compare whose backstory is worse but you know like <laughs> right. working with people who were physically or sexually or mentally abused you know that's like blatantly traumatic um whatever our backstories are they leave a mark on us and some of those backstories are really really painful and hard to live through and we don't necessarily want to face them that's a big part of it and I think that's why we do a lot of things mindlessly because the alternative to doing it mindlessly is too much. Like right. I've had people who've come to me for coaching, they're like, you know, they, they have all these fits and starts with their wellness. Like they'll lose a hundred pounds and gain back 150. And, you know, we dig into why and, and I'm listening to them talk about themselves and 
parts of their life they won't talk about and people in their lives that they won't talk about. Like you'll hear these odd gaps in their story. And, you know, as a coach, like part of my job is to help you explore yourself. So I might point out, like, I noticed you're not talking about this person and you're sort of talking around them. Why is that? And what you find is like that person was a perpetrator of some trauma upon them. And so this this person in particular I'm talking about was like, I went through something with them. I blocked out what it is and I'm not willing to go into it. So that's off limits. That's perfectly fine if that's what they want for themselves. Mm -hmm. But that in a nutshell told me exactly why she's like on her sixth time trying to lose, you know, triple digits of weight. That is like, it's, it's, that's so so much for me gold. (laughs) Because I, even though this this person was my client, he's one of my friends and he was always struggling with like women. like he would, I mean, you can literally calculate the three month mark. Oh yeah. He, he, would, he would break up with that every right. single time. Right. And then um, at this one moment we were, you know, we were close friends, we were close friends and he, we were hanging out and we were walking down the street and he, some, I don't know, for some reason he told me he was molested when he was, a, a teenager by a family member mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god that's it yeah I was like I don't remember quite what I said to him I said that is the reason why you have problems committing to other people because you're mm-hmm. for, you, that's I don't remember what I said but at this moment and he was like are you kidding me and I was like no I was like and I just like literally mapped it out I was like you need to make amends with this person if they're something still in your life he was like oh no 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 I was like sure it's your yeah you can do whatever you want to yeah but I'm telling you this thread from that childhood trauma is directly affecting your relationship with women yeah and two weeks later he called the cousin up he uh-huh. made amends forgave him and the cousin was like thank you for doing this because I have been living with this guilt for so long and you just freed me. And now I, and the cousin had been struggling with mm. his own um, ability to be in relation, like avoid it um, being in relationships altogether. And now they have a friendship building a relationship back together. And now my friend is like <laughs> probably been in the longest relationship he's ever been from that moment. Yeah. Yeah. See, and this is what's so interesting to me is like people think their lives are compartmentalized. So like I can have, you know, when some people are like, what, what do folks come to you for coaching on? And this, this sounds totally wrong. This is not quite how I mean it, but I don't care. (laughs) It's not, it's not reality. What I mean, what I mean by that is it, it actually doesn't matter. Like, yes, we will work on, you know, if you come to me for your weight, for your career, for leadership, your relationship, like whatever it is, we will work on that. But don't think for a minute that's all we're working on because we can't. <laughs> so, you know, like this woman wants to compartmentalize. Well, that happened. That has nothing to do with why I'm obese or why I can't lose weight. Are you serious? Everything <laughs> is everything to do with everything. Right. You know, when you come in the door from work, you had a bad day at work. Do you think your family doesn't know? Do you think you're treating them perfectly? Right. Oh, yeah, no, I'm faking it. I'm biting my cheek. They don't know. They know. They can see right. your cheeks pulled in and like, why is there blood on your tooth? You know, like, or, or you're struggling at home. You think work doesn't know, you right? Know? Or your parents sick and you're worried about losing them. You think your friends don't see that? 
-hmm. know, it's, we are not compartmentalized beings. We're whole people. Right. Yeah. And everything we do ties to everything we do. So it's not that I don't care. It's that we're not just going to talk about that because we can't we're not actually like i'm not here to give you the slim fast kind of approach <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and like you know what maybe there's more money in that and i really don't care like there's you know th- there are ways to make a quick buck and take advantage of that hole someone sees in a particular yeah. part of their life but they're probably you know there's there's water spouting out all over the place because right. we are intertwined and we are complex and that's okay but it means that you're gonna have to face things and so I, you know there's some some clients where i'll just say listen um i respect that that is your choice is your life it's not me who's going through this process it's you i'm not going to be able to work with you if there are certain pieces of what's going on behind the scenes that you're not willing to address with me or address with another professional mm. so if that's where you want to go fantastic i'm here for you until then you know i'm happy to be supportive and everything but i'm not going to be able to work with you on that right and that's uh, i'm glad you said that because that's something when i was in my training that's what our um coach would say to us she was like you know if they're unwilling to do the work then don't work with them like because then your job as a coach you're working more harder than than them and that's not how it works they have yeah. to work and you're just a space for them to show up and to deal with whatever it is that they deal with like if you're yeah. working hard stop the session and i've i've done that a couple of times like very nervous when i had to first do that and i'm like i have to stop this session because it's scary it, <laughs> it really is yeah. and um and there was one moment when I stopped the session with a, a, a lady that I was working with. I was just like, you didn't do any of the work. You didn't do any of the reading. I was like, you know, we, we can't we can't do this session because now you have no idea what I'm referring to. Like, yeah. I have nothing to go with. And I said, you know, I just noticed that you haven't been showing up on these calls. She goes, well, I said, well, how does that reflect your love life? She goes, well, I don't show up for my love life mm-hmm. and i was just like surprise wow surprise. you know like and like just like what you said everything is so interconnected yeah and it's just like a lot of us and sometimes us too as coaches like we avoid things and that's why for me i think having other coaches or having other people instead of transformation work can i like bring us back yeah. into that that place yeah and so like why is it um you know why is it important to like to wake that up? Because I think you were talking about this on the TED Talk, like really waking that up and like the the gold of like really like what you have in do a day. So like talk to me about like what do a day is referring to, like waking that part yeah. of you up so you can just like do almost like do something being like as meaning being present in the moment and doing something a yeah. day to fulfill on what you're aligned, what you're aligned with. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the words do and day, the uh is not as important. Um, You know, you said it before, like, do is about taking action. Right. And day is not about, it's not about a specific day, it's about right now. Right now. This this moment, so that's the presence point. So the the thing that, what I I realized is, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is the backstory. And so many people live with that backstory actively present right now. As if, as if it's the truth of life for them. Yeah, and, and consciously or subconscious. Like for that woman, right. 
she's like, I blocked it out. I don't actually know what specifically happened. Part of her does. So like, it's there and it's obviously affecting her now, your friend. It's there, it's obviously affecting him, perhaps right. not anymore. You know, that past, whether it's pain, whether it's it's shame, whether it's guilt, whether it's regret, whether it's happiness, but happiness lost. So mm -hmm. we're longing for something. We bring all that into right now and that sits on us like a weight and we make a lot of decisions and we go yeah. through our interactions with that. And at the same time, it's tomorrow. And tomorrow's where a lot of what I was focused on is all the things that are going to go wrong later. And it can be for good stuff too. Yeah, You know, like, it's a kind of minor example, but like the night before I got my driver's license, I did not sleep a wink. I was so excited. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that didn't help with my driving the next day. Luckily it's Boston, right? So everyone's a bad driver. So <laughs> um, I don't actually believe that. I think we're very good purposeful drivers here, but, um, for good or bad, we bring those future moments into the today mm -hmm. and whether it's anxiety or fear or whether it's anticipation, and what we do is we give up the present moment. And so whether it's living with all of the weight from yesterday or all the fear and anticipation of tomorrow, what are you left with right now? Because all your decisions are going to be tied to the past or the future. Mm -hmm. And in that very moment, you end up throwing away the moment. Right. So that's kind of what I realized is do a day is about like, look, it doesn't mean don't learn from your past. And it doesn't mean <clears throat> don't be aware of the future and don't plan for it. But it does mean you take your actions today in respect of the goals that you've set for yourself. Because when you do that, you will achieve more. They will build on each other. And that thing you're fearing may never come to pass because you've yeah. gone down a better path. Right. And that thing that you're regretting or you're feeling shame about may become irrelevant or maybe it already was irrelevant, but for the way that you're thinking about it today. So you build yourself past that. Right. And that that is unbelievably freeing and you know it's it's a shame like while this was all coming together for me is when charlie sheen went kind of off the deep end and was saying winning oh, yeah, all the time that, yeah. so i but i was like you know you win your way to success and then people are like oh you can't like hashtag that because that's ridiculous now but it's a great word like each success builds on the next one and you mm -hmm. can win your way to now i use this analogy um i become a runner I just say I am a runner. runner. <laughs> like I'll, I'll own that. Um, <laughs> but like in running, you know, when you're struggling with the distance, the idea is like, don't think about you still have 10 miles to go or whatever. Just pick like that street Oof. post down the way, you know, that bench, that person up there, that car, that whatever, and just run to that. And just before you get there, look to the next one. So it's not like, you know, I, I did the Chicago marathon in 2015. I was really sick, which I didn't really know at the time. I thought it was just nerves, but as the race went on, I was getting worse and worse. And then it, like halfway through, I'm eyeing the medical tent. I'm like, I don't know if I'm actually putting my life in jeopardy. And I'm like, and I still have 11 and 12 miles to go. Mm -hmm. That's a long, that's like, I still have like two hours left because I was running so slowly at that point. Like that is a really long time. You know what? I'm not running another two hours right now. I just need to put the next foot down and see how I feel or like I'm going to run to that point there or I'm going to I need to get to the water station because I'm dehydrated. I need to get some water and then see how I feel or like the next medical tent isn't for another half a mile. So either way, I have to get there. Mm -hmm. So why don't I make a point of getting to that medical tent and then I'll make a decision about, OK, can I get to the next one or do I need to stop here? But right now I'm not in that point because there is no option anyway. 
So I might as well not be like, oh, but I missed the medical tent a mile and a half ago. What am I going to do now? What, turn around? That's further <laughs> That's further than going back. I mean, going yeah. ahead. Or am I like, just stop near? Well, I need help. So if I just stop here, I'm no better off. Somehow I still have to get up to that medical tent. It's not like there's just cars waiting around to take right. you wherever, like traffic stuff. <laughs> right. So no matter what, I need to focus on what's going on right here, right now. It's not about the future medical tent and it's not about the one in the past. It's not about how much distance I have into the finish or whether I'll finish. I still need to get through the right now. And in that kind of mentality, I did finish the race. I was about an hour slower than I had hoped to be and how my training had been. And so then I'm left with five months of my life training for this event, gone, you know, and not yeah. like I was set to do well and it was out the window. And I, I had a lot to deal with and to process from that. But I realized like, and I still finished a marathon, which is more than most people do. And I had serious headwinds against me the whole way, yet mm -hmm. I did it anyway. And I was present and I got myself through, you know, and, and I didn't like, I didn't go too far and, and put my life in jeopardy. Um, I caught like a stomach bug flu kind of thing, mm. which I, I didn't realize, but um, it's that presence that is unbelievably powerful when you really tap into it. Wow. I mean, it's almost like what you, like what you go into next in your thing is um, about, about setting these like little intentions that really mm -hmm. just pushed you and pushed you and pushed you to finishing the race. And so like, talk to me like why is setting an intention, a clear intention? Now, do yeah. you set intentions daily or how do you apply attention to your yeah. life and how do you so, help your clients as well? Yeah, so I believe in setting major goals that are life-changing goals, not impossible, <clears throat> but life-changing. Yeah. Um, and I get into this debate with lots of people. I had this amazing guy on my show the other day and he's like, it doesn't matter if you get it or not, that's not the point. Like, mm -hmm. set a big goal and whether you achieve it or not, like you strive for it. And I, I appreciate that, but I also wanna be mindful of like, you know, it, like when I was losing weight, you know, I had the second time around like 50 pounds <coughs> to lose. If I set a goal of losing 100 pounds, not only is that not possible, I would have died in the process because I'd be like, I mean, I'd have to either that or like cut off a leg or so like I didn't have enough weight to lose for that to be. So like, don't be irrational with it. Don't be unreasonable. But if I have 50 pounds to lose or 100 to lose the first time, 10 pounds is not my goal. Right. 10 pounds is an intention. It's a, it's a more proximate focal point. It's that signpost down the street, but that's not the whole race. So don't set the goal for something that doesn't actually move your life forward. Don't set it for a step along the way. Set the goal for what you really want. It doesn't matter how long it's gonna take, but understand how long it's gonna take. My problem was every day I saw the 100 pounds and it was such an ill-defined goal and I felt so much pressure for it. That future anxiety was like, how am I gonna lose 100 pounds? I'm like, I can't do this. And so by like 10 a.m., all the pep talks I had done with myself that morning, out the window, you know, I'd eaten a bunch of junk, and I was, you know, now it's 101 pounds or whatever. But when you structure it the right way, it's like, okay, the 50 pounds was July 1st. Mm -hmm. I know what I need to do. I have the tools from, you know, this guy in high school. What's a reasonable amount of weight to lose by what time if I push myself on these ways? And I'd done this before. So I knew like, okay, I can do roughly this much a week if I work out like this and I can eat this way. And and I knew structurally, here are some things I need to do to back myself up. And it's not just like an idea and you walk away and like the weight falls off. I'm gonna have to work at it. I wanna track what I'm doing. I wanna create some social pressure. I'm gonna tell people that I'm doing it. So I get cheerleaders and I get like, I, I owe someone something because I told them I'd do it, mm -hmm. you know? And 
that structure then allow me to say, okay, this month, this is how much weight I'm supposed to lose. And this is what I need to do every day. So those are those like daily intentions. I know I need to do this today and I'm going to hold myself accountable to it. And I'm going to reflect at the end of the day. How did I do? Did I complete it or not? Did I do more than that? What did I learn? Was I underestimating my capability or was I overestimating it? And should I still overestimate it? Because look what it did for me by doing, you know, like it's, it's a self-exploration. And in that process, I did it in, you know, like mid-October instead of the end of December. And by the end of December, I got to what I now understood was my real goal weight. I didn't, I hadn't really been healthy in so long that I had lost sight of what I was actually capable of achieving. And so by the end of the year, I got to 180. My birthday was 185, which was so great going in for my physical when the year before they're like, yeah, you know, typical like middle-aged dad, like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, your cholesterol could be better. Like, it's basically just like a blase appointment, but not the most positive. But I think doctors are kind of jaded now. They're like, yeah, Americans, you know, like a blood sugar is a little high or a little this or a little that. But like, the guy was blown away. He was like, how, you know, how did you do this? And so we got into talking, um, but what, what I found at the end of the year is I got to 180 and I've basically been that ever since I got dropped down a little too low while I was marathon training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a couple of times I got to like 183, but I've been like, call it 177 to 183 nonstop since 2011. So, you know, eight years now. And I don't think about my weight anymore cause I don't have to, cause I'm not that person. So I'm not living as I always said, like. I spent the first half of my life obese and the second half trying not to be, which is not a great way to describe my life. But I still was living as the fat kid. You know, I was bringing all that yesterday into it. Yeah. Now, like, this is who I am. I don't have to worry about my weight. I don't have to be like, I do these things naturally. So I will naturally be healthy. And my kid gets to see that. Yeah. And so like now he works out and he's taking over my basement workout. How old is your kid now? (laughs) He just turned 11. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Yeah. And he's real into American Ninja Warrior. So there's like, you know, I, I come down, it's Obstacles. like, in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I fell on a chair the other day. I'm, I'm getting older. So now I have to be careful about well, things like that. I know you get the dings and things <laughs> really ding you. For yeah. A long time. I'm like, why is there a bruise on my shin? But okay. I know. Right. Um, um, yeah, but it's great. You know, it's just, it's different. It's a different form of living and that's mm-hmm. what's so freeing. It's not to say I don't struggle, man. You know, like I still yeah. have my anxiety, but I know what to do about it. And that's, what's markedly different for me. Yeah. That's so awesome. So I, I, I love the fact that you're so into Buddhism and, um, uh, when I was watching your, <laughs> for your next book, uh, 1575, 100. And I was, yeah. you know, um, at the end of your your TED talk, you had this quote by Buddha. I was like, oh, I really love that quote. You know, conquer anger with non-anger, badness with goodness, meanness with generosity, and disappointment yeah. with truth. Like, I was just like, oh, wow, that's so, I, I really loved it. And then like, especially, you know, recently I've um, like the whole meanness with great uh, generosity, like learning to not engage in people's like, meanness or their attacks yeah. on you tip and i'm just like like tip for ted i'm just like yeah, it doesn't work like i'm just like no and they even tell people this like <laughs> I, I think i told this to one of my friends i said i'm not going to engage and yeah. they just look at me like what do you mean i'm like no can't yeah. do it i love yeah, you yeah. and i'm just gonna walk away right now yeah you know and like so 
before we get into the book, I'm just curious, I like, like, because for, for me recently, I've been like reading more things uh, about Buddha and how like, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of um, this book called True Love by Nichiren Han, like just the, the philosophy of Buddhism and love and life is just like, oh my God, like why I didn't discover this when I was younger, yeah. Yeah. you know, like how did you, how did that even start to even, how did you even discover that? And it's like permeating in your books and your work. So how did yeah. you even get into that? Yeah, it's it is ironic. Um, Buddha's a part of both of my books. Yeah, and I'm not a Buddhist, but um, I certainly do absolutely subscribe to the philosophy behind Buddhism. And that's the thing is like anyone who's like, well, I'm I'm of this religion or I'm that religion. I don't believe in your Buddha. I'm not Buddhist. Buddha is not my god. Um, that has nothing to do with it. You get into the teachings. Right, and I want to and I want to clarify something. Like Buddhism, uh, technically, is not really a religion. Yeah. I, the the statue is not being worshipped. It's just a reminder right. to be present here now. Is not. It's, I don't. I don't even know where that interpretation came from. But they're not worshiping the statue. Yeah. The yeah. statue is just a representation of being mindful, being here right now. Yep. Yep. Absolutely right. Um, which is a really beautiful thing. It's a really, it's an, it's an open group that welcomes everybody and it's not to convert them. Right. You know, it's <laughs> really clear about that. Um, and I, I'm, I'm Jewish and there's this whole like Jubu movement, like the Jewish Jubu? Buddhist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know. Like, anyway. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like my son takes karate. I took it for a little bit from the same teacher. Um, Basically, because as a kid, I wanted to be a ninja. So I was living with, <laughs> you know, so I was had these visions of learning how to flip. It just never happened. But when someone comes to strike you, you don't stop them by punching their fist back. You block or you deflect or you move away. Right. So even that, even in, in fighting, it's not tit for tat because that like you're just going to both break your your wrists or your fists if you, if you try to punch right. them back. Um, you block and you deflect and there's whole forms of martial arts that are all about absorbing their energy and moving past it like moving them mm. through you instead of absorbing it and pushing back um, so yeah, it's it's really interesting but basically how did this all happen um, you know on the back of my wife's illness our lives set into um, just a different set of norms and roles around who I was and who she was in the household. A, because I hadn't stood by her the nation, the way she needed me to, mm -hmm. and that hurt her, and that changed the way she felt about me. And B, because I worked in the house. Not like that's not where my job was. It's because like I was the guy doing stuff. And so, and it very much fell into that pattern where like, you know, I'm just constantly milling about like doing the laundry, cooking, cleaning, whatever. And so we had our roles in our family and that as a result, we came further and further apart. And then I took a job in Atlanta and I was commuting down every week, um, which is crazy that I would get into the office before other people on Monday, which is like your boss just came in from a thousand miles away and he beat you to the office today. Maybe you should wake up five minutes earlier, <laughs> different point, but I just say, um, but, uh, so, you know, we were, we were not together five days a week because I was working, you know, offsite and I had my apartment down there. And so like, they'd come down and visit and, um, wow. you know, my son liked it. There was a pool, like 
it, w- it wasn't like we weren't separated, we weren't divorced, there's nothing like that. It's just like, I got this job, it was a rare opportunity, it was out of state, and I traveled a lot for that job too, so it didn't really make sense for them to move, and that was really, moving would have been very destabilizing for her wellness. You know, she built up a number of practitioners who were part of her, how she saved her life. Mm-hmm. And so to walk away from that, it, you know, it's tough, especially if I'm not even gonna be there. So for a lot of reasons, it made sense for us to live this way, but, if you're only together two days a week and in those two days, like I'm scrambling to get seven days worth of stuff done to keep the house running and feeling exhausted mm-hmm. at a really big job and lifestyle wasn't helping. And I'm like scrambling those two days. So we're growing further and further apart, butting heads more. And so our marriage is really suffering. And it got to a point where, um, you know, she's like, you need to, I'm seeing someone you need to see. It's not like relationship wise. You need to see a, a counselor or a therapist and like that. And I'm all for that. I had no issue with it. It was just the the scheduling of it. So I, I realized like I could see someone in Atlanta. I'm like, they have to be here. Well, they don't like, I'm never in Boston. So that that's mm-hmm. tricky. So I start seeing someone in Atlanta and she puts me on, I should say the reason I saw someone was to learn coping mechanisms, deal with my wife's treatment of me. Not cause I needed to change. I was good. <laughs> right, all the problems are with her, and that's that's the first admission I'll make. Is we all tend to feel that way. Yeah, they're just if it, like they're treating me this way, if they would just love me more, see my worth, you know, not do this to me, all those kinds of things that keep coming up, then we'd be fine. So I just need to learn how to bite my lip and not respond when they do it, because you know I need to be able to walk away. But I, that's not me. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone says something mean, I have to explain to them why they're wrong because I'm a fixer. I got to fix the situation. Yeah. So I just, I need to learn better mechanisms to not do that. And then I won't make it worse. And she'll get to say what she says. She'll think she's right. And then she'll chill out. But I, I'm, I'm like bringing it back up to the surface because I keep poking back and I just need to learn not to do that. So that's why I want to get help. And I, you know, luckily the therapist is like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's also you, my friend. Yeah. Um, but she introduced me to this book, Open Heart, Clear Mind, by a Buddhist monk named Tubdin Chodron. I'm trying to see it. Oh, it's, it's under a pile of books. So I'm not going to try to pick it out. But um, God, the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Like mm. 100%. I've read a lot of incredible books. I'm looking at one by the Dalai Lama. Um, I've Someone else gave me their most beautiful beautiful book that they've ever read. A great book called Nonviolent Communication. Mm. Um this is still open heart, clear mind still for me is, is the book. So when people are like, what book do you recommend thinking I'm going to drop one of mine? Yeah. And then I tell them it's this other one. They're like, wait, your name was hard enough to spell. Now I got to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's incredible. And it, I mean, almost instantaneously blew me away. Like I got it right off the bat, the way, um, the way that the ideas of it's, it's sort of like a primer on Buddhism. And she also has another book called Buddhism for Beginners. I actually prefer open heart, clear mind, but they're similar in the sense of introducing mm-hmm. you to the philosophies. She describes it like a, a buffet. You don't have to take everything all at once. Yeah. You take what you're interested in, what speaks to you, what entices you, and you can come back for more of that, or you can go and try something else later when you're ready for it. Like for me, reincarnation was a difficult one to wrap my head around and to get comfortable with. And I don't necessarily see it as necessary to believe the other views. Um, And it it just wasn't sitting well with me. So if I was going to say I have to take everything, well, this really is incongruous with my view of things. And so now I can't accept anything. 
So instead, like taking like this over here really speaks to me. I don't need to worry about whether I'm ready for this other stuff or not, or whether it's it's not jiving with me. That's okay. So there's one in, one idea in particular that blew me away immediately, and it's this idea of happiness seeking. This is like this was life changing for me in the same way that call from my wife's doctor was. It's the idea that ultimately everyone just seeks to be happy. And that's why we do everything we do, mm, which yeah. means when someone is doing all those things to you that like the problem's them, not you, like, you know, they're yelling at me, they're doing this, they're doing that. They didn't wake up this morning and say, oh, what am I going to do today? Um, you know, do a day. Oh, I'll do, I'll, I'll just be mean to Brian. That's like, that, right. that'll be good. If Brian cries today, that's my goal. Now, maybe that is what they're saying to themselves, but that's not really what they're going for. What they're actually going for is some happiness that they're seeking and they think being mean to you will help them get there. Or they think yeah. maybe you stand in the way of it and they need to be mean to you to get you to go you know, mm. out of that, that blocking position. So they're confused. The, the analogy I love is traffic jams, right? The person who cuts you off in traffic, they did not get on the highway looking for your car to go get in front of it. They got on the highway to get where they're going, just like you. Like you actually right. both have the exact same definition of happiness in that situation. For whatever reason, they felt like getting one car further ahead is going to help and will make them happier. So that's yeah. what they did, even though maybe it was dangerous, maybe it almost caused an accident, but it's not just to put you a car further back. And when you look at it that way, you don't feel as wronged. You're mm. less likely to fight back. And like normally what most people do is like they give them the finger, they yell at them even though they can't hear, or they yeah. try to cut them off in response like, oh, you're not going to get, I'm going to get in front of you. And then maybe they cause an accident or maybe they piss off someone else and it just gets out of control. But if you recognize like this person's just trying to get where they're going and I don't know their life, I don't know, like maybe they're getting away from something terrible. Maybe there's an emergency and they're trying to get there. The, the example I use in the book is this guy who cut me off who's in a van with like plumber business logo on it. Maybe someone's house is flooding. Maybe their yeah. toilets overflow. Like I, my house is flooded. If, if he was the guy coming to help, I would be so thankful that he was cutting off everyone possible. <laughs> save my, You know, like, I don't know what's going on, but I do know that being one car further back actually doesn't materially make any difference. We're all stuck. We're all going too slow. I'm going to be sitting here for a while. You know, ways didn't change the estimated time of arrival. Mm -hmm. It's it's not really any different, but if I get all worked up and if I feel attacked and I attack back, then we, we're going to have a bigger issue. At yeah. least my day is going to be ruined if we don't get in an accident too. You know? um, yeah, I hate to, not to cut you off, but like I really love that. Like it really like opens up my own mind of like, okay, um, like things that I've done or do or react to just like, like, um, uh, like yesterday with this guy, you know, got a sort of like this argument. I just like stopped. It's like, listen, like, I'm not going to argue with you. Mm. Um, and it's learning to like, the biggest thing I've learned too with like reading a lot of Buddhism stuff is like this learning how to stop. Yeah. And just like, okay, what's happening here? Yeah. And like, and sometimes asking the question, like, well, what is it that you really want? Like, what is it that you're reacting to? And like really yeah. dealing with that in that moment and being in that moment. And it just like is what you were saying. It's like, okay, just like learning how to stop and be like, okay, like I don't have to be angry about this. I don't have to like react to this. Or yeah. we both can create a win win happiness situation. And I yeah. really love that happiness thinking 
which is such a great way to like really reverse a situation and probably at yeah. any, any moment, any time. Yeah. And it, it takes, it takes investigating two happinesses if that's the plural for happiness. Yeah. Um, theirs and yours. So like, you know, with, with, with the situation with my wife, you know, why is she so upset with me? Where's that coming from? What is it she ultimately wants? And same thing for me is like, why is what she's doing bothering me? Or why, what is it that I actually want in the situation? And is the response I'm about to give her actually going to help with that? Or yeah. is it going to be worse? And when you pause and reflect in those things, <clears throat> you start to identify the path to better. And, you know, there's a couple of other key things that I, I found in Buddhism that are these underlying ideas in my book. But the general approach, the structure that hit me is like, so the book's called the 50, 75, 100 solution. Mm -hmm. And everyone cringes at the name. They're like, oh, numbers. <laughs> but, you know, someone's like, you should call it relationships suck. And I'm like, yeah, it'll probably sell better, but that's not my point. And that's kind of clickbaity. The reason why I named it what I did is we tend to see relationships as 50, 50, mm -hmm. which is, is not a path to solution. So when you get a tough relationship, me versus you is that starting point that I was in. Like, oh, it's them. It's not me. And anything I do won't matter because they're still them and they're still terrible to me. And that's that. Right. So like there's my half and there's your half. That's the 50. The 75 comes from this idea that actually it's not 50-50. There's four quarters. Each of us is split in half into two quarters of the whole. And those halves are made up of our actions and our reactions. So our actions are what we're actively putting out in the world of our own free will. And our reactions are how we're responding to the other person. Right. And people will say like, well, you know, I can't, like I didn't choose for them to do that. So it's hard for me not to yell back. They make fun of me. I'm gonna make fun of them back. I'm gonna defend myself. I'm gonna hit back. It may be hard, but it's still a choice. Like you're saying you walk away. You say like, I love you. I don't wanna have this argument. So I'm gonna choose to walk away right now. That's not easy. No. And they're probably like, as you're walking away, I told the story in the book, like my wife's throwing crap at me as I'm walking, away. not literally. She's like, you're this, you're that. Oh, I know what you're doing now. You're just manipulating me. And I wasn't. And normally I would come back and be like, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> but I did, I did come back. And what I said is I just repeated what I said to her when I walked away is kind of what you're saying. Like, I love you. This is not the relationship I want to have. I don't want to be in this argument. And I think the more we go back and forth is not making it better. I love you. I'm good. Like I said, I love you multiple times. I'm going to go to bed and I walk away and she's saying stuff the second time too, but I kept walking. So I wasn't going to give her the wrong version of me to react to. So it's in our half, you know, we can choose how we're reacting and we can choose how we're acting. And you recognize that. And then what you yeah. see is the other person's the same as you actions and reactions, only their reactions are based on your behavior. So yeah. if you're giving them a different version of you to react to, you're going to get a different version of them back. And so this is the 75 is it's not 50 50. You're not powerless. You don't have no agency to change their behavior by giving them a different version of you. You're going to affect change in what they're doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you actually have control or at least influence over three quarters of the problem, not half. Yeah, that's really empowering. And when I recognize that, I'm like, if I can make 75% of this function better through my direct actions and choices, no matter how hard they may be, I can get the 100% that I'm wishing for. Yeah, and that's I, where the name's from. It's, you know, the whole reacting, react, acting, reacting thing. Like I, 
when I first discovered that it sometimes it is like what you said sometimes it is hard to like sure. walk away or you make a comment somebody responding to something you said and like I was just as you were talking I was just thinking of an example with one of my best friends he has a, a son and we were hanging out and he made this this uh, reference to how he doesn't um, something about the way his son sleeps and I and I after my train I'm just like oh is that like a proper like my mind was like hmm that's interesting so I question mm. the way he put the child to sleep and I'm just like oh okay just left it at that at that mm. and he stopped and he was like are you trying to tell me what to do you trying yeah. to raise my kid and I'm just like <laughs> no, <laughs> and then he just kept going, and I was like, "Listen, I'm not sure what's going on here." I said, "I'm not going to argue about with you with this. The conversation is over. I didn't do what you said to do. I'm I'm going to move on. Yeah. Are you interested in moving on to another conversation?" And he just kind of looked at me, and he 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 continued with another conversation, like, yeah. but. And before with this particular friend, like I used to be very nervous to say this, especially people who you love so much. Yeah. You know, it, it can be difficult and you don't want to react or cause another or bigger reaction. Mm. And now you're both fighting and you're both saying things you don't want to say. Yeah. And, and it can get so ugly. But sometimes, you know, not especially with me like i'm not sure about you like you want to react you want to fight oh, back yeah. you want to say call them a name or something like that yeah. and be like and, and you feel all the emotions and the yeah. fire in your blood yeah. is boiling you're just like i'm not going to engage yeah <laughs> right now yeah. yeah and that's where that's why i think it's important not just to focus on their happiness which is a almost like a negotiation strategy like that gives you the insight into how to appeal to them and get a different behavior out of them mm -hmm. but you also need to know your own happiness because that's the thing you can grab back onto and you know and in, in <clears throat> my whole thing with my wife like i realized actually you know going way back when i said like i feel like i don't matter that's what i want more than like i, I want i want to matter to her i want to matter to myself but i want to matter to the people around me right and if that's what i really want then me correcting her or fueling this more does that have anything to do with her looking at me and being like mm. he matters so much to me not right. because i get stuff done or i'm i, I matter because i paid the bills and so who's going to pay the but no 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 i want to matter like that is my person you yeah. know and if that's what I, and, and like coming back to that happiness on my behalf allows me to grab better control over my behaviors, my actions and reactions, because they don't have anything to do with that, that thing that I really wish for. Right. You know, hitting that guy in traffic has nothing to do with me getting home as quickly as possible. It has the opposite to do with it. Yeah. So I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to let him go and I'm going to smile. And I'm going to let, like Buddhism's point is to reduce suffering. Mm -hmm. That is the focus of Buddhism, to reduce suffering in the world. Well, are you suffering? Are you, you know, so many people cut off their own nose to spite their face. Like, are, are you actually helping yourself get to what you want? And, you know, like mm -hmm. your friend, his reaction's coming from something. Like we were right. saying before, he's not compartmental. There's something that you just hit on, feeling controlled, feeling judged, whatever. Whether it's what you did or not, 
you triggered a past memory for him that is like, here we go again. Right. What he really wants? Is he in touch with that? You know? So that presence of happiness that they may not have, but if you have it, you can control at least the escalation and try to bring it back to center as you did. Right. You know, and that, that's really empowering because we feel like we don't have control. Mm-hmm. That's not a great starting place in any interaction. <clears throat> and I'm curious too, like, you know, for people, especially like I find when I coach men, like, how do you, well, how do you teach like something like with yourself? How do you yourself, when you have that belief, like, okay, I don't matter, but you know, you're like, I do matter. How do you, <clears throat> you teach or how do you articulate one to someone you love? Like, I matter. And this is how you articulate. This is how mm-hmm. you teach other people how you want to be loved that show yeah. you that you matter. Like, how do you start to communicate that like to your wife, to your son, yeah. to, to clients who are also struggling with the same thing? Yeah. So I try to, <clears throat> um, I try to, to use this happiness seeking as the framing for those conversations. So, you know, your friends feeling controlled or feeling mm-hmm. judged or whatever, recognizing that's clearly not the happiness he wants is to feel judged and controlled. So saying, you know, I don't, I don't know what about what I just said made you feel that way, but I'm sure you don't want to feel controlled or judged or made to feel like you're not a good father. That's not my intention. I'm sorry for that. What I'm hoping for is this. Right. What, what, what is it that, what is it that you want? Or why are you sharing this story with me where I've inadvertently made you feel this way? Cause that's not what I want. So like, you know, this, this conversation my wife and I had was I had said something without thinking like there was anything to it at all. And she'd been brooding on it. And mm-hmm. so she's like, you know, you made me feel this. And well, I didn't make you feel anything. That's how you processed it. But I didn't say that. <laughs> right. but, like, I, I'm careful, like, you know, language matters. But, um, you know, I, when I heard that, I recognized, like, that's not what she wanted. That's not her happiness. So I'm going to respect that. And I, and I just said, like, it saddens me to hear that because that is 100% not what no. my intention was. I really didn't think through how you might process that. And I'm very sorry for that because what you're feeling right now breaks my heart. I would never want you to feel that. So I'm very sorry that anything I did led you to feel that way. And you leave it at that. You don't, I'm sorry you feel this. I'm sorry you took it. No, 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 no. I did this and this is the way that you're feeling now. That is not my intention at all. And I'm so sorry that you're sitting with those feelings. Have some compassion for the person. Validate their feeling. No one wants to feel like their feelings are invalidated. So telling them like, no, that's not like, that's not what I said. You're just basically invalidating their response. And they may be wrong to feel that, but that doesn't mean that they deserve to feel that their feelings are wrong. Our feelings are our feelings. That's it. And if I expect her to turn around when I tell her, I feel like I don't matter and be like, no, you do matter. Well, that's not going to help because I just told you I feel like I don't. So just talking louder than me or more definitively isn't going to make me feel like I'm mad. So reframing the situation around like I stepped on your happiness. That was not my intention. I'm so sorry. I didn't even realize it. Tell me about what matters to you in this. Tell me about what you're feeling. Getting her to share that and say, you know, I think one of the reasons why I may have said this and not thought through it is I generally am just feeling like I I don't really matter in the equation or I don't matter in that situation. 
that's a theme like recognizing like that's a bigger thing for me so i'm sensitive to that yeah and then you get in this like if it's two people who care about each other whatever this is this is not just romantic relationships this is yeah. all <laughs> this is all relationships work family significant others whatever you know you're talking to your boss and you're like this is why i'm feeling this way i generally am concerned that you know no one no one sees the worth of my ideas and it's really hard sometimes for me to take that and i'm i'm struggling with that and i'd like to talk to you about that some more yeah that's a much easier thing to have a meaningful conversation about than acting dysfunctionally you know and it takes a lot of courage and being brave and being just honestly like as i'm listening and i've been going back into this eckhart tolle thing like really mm. putting your ego aside to like really tap into well what's going to make this situation both of us happy or at least happiness for both of us in this moment it's like well do i want to be happy or do i want this like this confrontation this pain yeah. right now it's like that's that's literally the choice every single time so like, do we want yeah. to be in this pain or do we want happiness yeah um yeah well, we're coming we all to want the happiness yeah we do um i really enjoyed this conversation coming to the end here yeah um so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions like I do everybody else to see like what comes up, you know? Yeah. Uh, so what does a life of love mean to you? Well, I think on that last point, it's one where we both feel like we matter. And like, yeah. that's a, at a really deep level, like it's, it, you, you see it in each other's eyes, like the way that person's looking at me, I matter so much to them. Mm. So having that, you know, like when my wife and I hug, if my son sees us, he'll run over and he wants to get Aww. in on the action. <laughs> so like, I, he might be embarrassed by me sharing that, but like, it's that, you know, it's mm. like, I don't care what else is happening. If I catch a glimpse of you, you know, that's a life of love to me that what's around you, you can feel that way about. And you know that what's around you feels that way about you. Yeah. I love that. Um, and how do you disrupt yourself? Wow. Um, I generally try to push myself with something on a daily basis. Um, that's kind of my life in general. I push pretty hard. So I will try to get outside of my comfort zone, even in a small way on a daily basis. I find that can spark some freedom of thought. Um, so that's a big part of it. And then, you know, conversations like this, not that this is um, disruptive, but I, tr I, I try not to be insular. Like I do as many podcasts as I can. I have as many people on my show. I just have like 15, 30 minute conversations with people that are interesting people because mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on in their head, but it might spark something going on in mine. So I take as much of that as I can. Yeah. And I try to learn from people I coach too. Like just that, that oh, journey. Yeah. So enlightening to me and my journey. Yeah, I'm. It's, you say that like in my training, my our coach is like every person you're coaching is a reflection of what you didn't learn with yourself. You're learning with them, and I'm just like, oh, that's a, that's a couple of times. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. literally, although I enjoy coaching, my clients are still my training, like my learning ground. I'm still I'm learning yeah. from them, yeah. you know, um, that which improves me. Yeah. Um, I'd make a better better version of me. Um, so what does uh, a juicy love life looks like to you? Oh, um, uh, any, <laughs> any love life. Yeah. I, I've, I think there's something, um, 
to to have a just a simple kiss mm-hmm. that has all that mattering in it that like when a when a simple kiss hello or you know just a random kiss can communicate that depth of feeling mm-hmm. that's really powerful um you know lots of other things that that can lead to but like to be able to just have that because otherwise like a kiss is just like oh love you <laughs> like that's that's fine but I like know, right we could have also like whatever like that's i'm not against that it just doesn't have any meaning in it um a kiss is a really powerful thing yeah you know so to me like that's that's a sign of a juicy love life okay um and where can people find you online find your books and material yeah so you can find everything at brianfalchuk.com it's b-r-y-a-n F-A-L-C-H-U-K. And I'm also all over social media with the same name at Brian Falchuk on everything. Except TikTok. I think I'm too old for that. But <laughs> otherwise. Apparently TikTok, according to Gary V, if you follow Gary V is the next thing. I'm just like, what, oh, yeah. what is this thing? I'm like, I thought oh. Snapchat was, and luckily I couldn't figure that out in time. And I think that sort of fizzled, but maybe yeah. not. I don't know. I mean, it's Snapchat's a thing for more like a certain generation, but then TikTok, yeah. I'm just like I'm gonna use this as a coach. I'm not yeah. like I'm, I don't <laughs> just I don't know. I need to hire like a 13 year old to work for me. I think that'll. I that's how I'm gonna stay abreast of all the social media going so on. I know, right? All right. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Brian, for being here, and um, I just really enjoyed this whole conversation. All and thank you for just bringing who you sell yourself and what you bring to the world. Thank you, Jimmy. And same to you. Like this was awesome. And I told you when we talked the other day, like you're very real. And I love, I love that. It's been awesome to connect with you. <laughs> you too, man. Hey guys. So don't forget to subscribe on Instagram at Jimmy Allen and Twitter, simply Jimmy. And don't forget to rate, rate, subscribe, comment, and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you guys for joining me. This is Jimmy Allen with Crazy Juicy Love. Hey guys, are you ready to call in your one? Are you ready to become wildly magnetic to the partner that you deserve and start creating that crazy juicy love? Well, I am offering a discount package when you listen to this podcast. So when you listen to this podcast, you follow me on Instagram, you DM me and say, you listen to this podcast, and I will offer you a discount on a seven-week session. Crazy Juicy Love.